I really don't know if the title of today's sermon is a challenging question for any or many of you. But I know that in many of the Christian circles that I moved in years ago, there was in some of these circles a prevailing notion that you could lose your salvation. That it was possible for you to at one point in time believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to call upon His name, to put your trust in Him, but to ultimately fall away. Within the Christian church, there are these competing beliefs. That some believe, once saved, always saved, that your salvation is secure. Others who would suggest that your faith or your standing before God is a tenuous one, dependent upon your ongoing faithfulness to the very end. I think this is a relevant question for the churches in the Bahamas. I believe this is a relevant question for the churches in the Bahamas for this reason. If you have lived here for any amount of time, and I'm almost at the six-year mark, if you've lived here for any amount of time, you will realize that the vast majority of people in this country claim allegiance to Jesus Christ. That if you were to take a survey of the people in this country, the vast majority would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And yet, if we are to examine the behavior of all those who claim to have allegiance to Jesus, we might be tempted to question whether the profession of every person is genuine. Or perhaps we simply wonder, maybe the person at one point in their life had a genuine profession of faith, but they have fallen away. Which begs the question, if a person turns away from Jesus in a sustained sort of way, will such a person go to heaven? If a person turns away from Jesus in a sustained sort of way, will that person go to heaven? Or to put it another way, can a person lose their salvation? Is it possible for you to be redeemed? And to lose that redemption. Well, the text before us this morning, Hebrews chapter 6, is often cited as a proof text by those who believe your salvation can be lost. And they would cite Hebrews 6 as an example of those who've lost their faith. Let's look again at verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then having fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, in holding him up to contempt. Now, as you might imagine, biblical commentators see this same section of Scripture differently. And there are three common ways of interpreting this passage. 
The first says that the author of Hebrews is addressing a situation where genuine believers have lost their salvation. Genuine believers have lost their salvation. That's one possibility for reading this text. The second would be to say, no, it's not possible in reality. So what the author of Hebrews is doing is providing a hypothetical warning. A hypothetical warning to genuine believers so as to demonstrate the importance of remaining faithful. Third possibility. That the author of Hebrews is describing persons who have been influenced by the gospel. Persons who have shown some outward signs of being Christian. But who in reality are not. I want to demonstrate from the scripture this morning why I hold to the third position. I see that one's not working. Why I hold to the third position. In doing so, there is something sobering for us to consider. But there is also something massively encouraging for us to embrace. What is sobering for us to consider is the possibility that we may not actually possess the faith that we profess. We may not, in fact, possess the faith that we profess. You may recall that Jesus cautioned the multitude in this regard. In His Sermon on the Mount, He gave these words of warning. He says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is Jesus speaking. This is not some harsh prophet from the Old Testament uh, with a hard message for God's people. This is tender, loving, fair Jesus saying, I never knew you. You might have used my name and you may have done some significant things, but I've never known you. Depart from me. It's possible that we may not actually possess the faith that we profess. And that, my friends, is sobering news for us to consider this morning. But here's some news that is massively encouraging. Those that possess a genuine faith in Jesus Christ will never lose that faith. Those who have in reality been redeemed by Christ can never ultimately be lost. And again, we have the words of Jesus himself to guide us. The Gospel of John chapter 10 verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. 
commenting on this, R.C. Sproul gives us an excellent quote which you may have already seen in the bulletin this morning. Sproul says, we are secure, that is secure in our faith, we are secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. He holds tightly to us. Or as our hymn puts it, we just sang this, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from his hand. That's right out of John 10. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What we find throughout the New Testament is this notion that the God who initiates our salvation also preserves it. The God who begins salvation in you ensures that it gets finished. We see this in Philippians 1 verse 6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will what? Will finish it, will complete it. At the day of Jesus Christ. Jude, at the conclusion of his letter, writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, he who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Friends, it is encouraging, I hope, to hear those who have been redeemed by Christ are being kept by Christ and can never, ever, ultimately fall away. Well, pastor, if what you're saying is true, how do we make sense of Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6? If Scripture cannot be at odds with Scripture, how do we reconcile what we see in Hebrews 6 with the assertion that a true Christian can never fall away. Well, if we return to the text, we can begin to build or we can begin to assemble the profile of the kind of person that is being described here in the book of Hebrews. Look at verse 4. We are told, first of all, of a person who has been enlightened. A person who's been enlightened. Well, what does that mean? Well, taken very literally, someone who has been enlightened has been exposed to what? The light. If you're enlightened, you've been exposed to light. Now, if you were to turn, and you don't need to do this, I'll do it for you. If you were to turn to Psalm 43, verse 3, you would see that the terms light and truth are presented as being synonymous. So light in the Bible is the equivalent of truth. So someone who has been enlightened is someone who has been exposed to the truth of the gospel. Well, we're told more than that about this person in Hebrews 6. Not only have they been enlightened, we're told the person has also tasted the heavenly gift. That the person is also shared in the Holy Spirit. So we see that something here is bigger than exposure to information. Something going on here is much bigger than exposure to information. 
It's bigger than merely hearing the gospel proclaimed and then rejecting it. The author of Hebrews is describing the profile of a person who has had an experience of Jesus. Someone who's had a a heartfelt, close, personal experience to Jesus. Now I want to pick up this metaphor of tasting to help us picture what is going on here. Now some of you are aware that I am one of those weirdos who does not like dessert. I am one of the strange people that God has created that doesn't really like chocolate all that much. And this is a delightful arrangement for my dear wife because she doesn't have someone uh, impinging on her dessert eating. So I am one of those strange people, and I I hope I haven't lost all respect uh, for the chocolate lovers among us, but I just don't like dessert that much. But once in a while we'll be having dinner at a restaurant, and the presentation of Ali's dessert is so appealing to look at that the curious side of me wants a taste. Now I know I don't generally like sweets or chocolate, but the curious side of me often asks for a taste. And my wife being the kind wife that she is often obliges. And it's rare that having tasted her dessert, that my cravings for that dessert are inflamed. Usually just a little taste is enough to say, yeah, I don't need this. I don't want this. But once in a while, on the rare occasion, I will taste Allie's dessert. And I'll say, I need to get this for myself. Let's get the waiter over right away. This is really good. And I, now that I've tasted it, I want it for myself. Well, the sense I get from Hebrews 6 verse 4 is that there are those who got a taste of Jesus. There are those who got a sampling of what Jesus was like. But they were not compelled to receive him as their own. But then, the author of Hebrews elevates things when he describes a person who is shared in the Holy Spirit accompanied by an experience of the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. So we look at this and I think we'll all admit, this sounds a little more involved than just a taste test. This sounds like it's more deeply layered than just a sampling of Jesus. So we need to ask a question. Do we have an example in the New Testament? Do we have an example of a person who fits the description of Hebrews 6? Someone who shows themselves to be a Christian who ultimately falls away. Is there anyone we can think of in the New Testament that we could point to and say they were enlightened by the gospel? Someone we could say they had a personal experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone we could say in spite of those things they still fell away. Is there such a person? Yes, there is. And his name is Judas. You'll remember it doesn't end well for Judas. 
And even before he betrays Jesus, this is what Jesus had to say about him to the disciples. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. That sounds like the hardest thing that you could say about a person. To look at them and say, it would have been better if they had never been born. It would have been an advantage to them if they had never been born. So things don't go well. Things don't end well for Judas who clearly, ultimately falls away. But now if you were to scroll back in the Gospels, what would you see? You would see Judas functioning as an effective apostle. You would see Judas fitting in with all of the others alongside his peers. If you want to see what I mean, you can look at Luke chapter 10. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72. He sends out the 72 to go town to town, proclaiming the gospel, casting out demons, and healing diseases. In Luke 10, 17, we read, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. So you have these appointed followers of Jesus who are going out town by town and they're healing people. Sick people are getting better. Lame people are walking again. Demon-possessed people are experiencing freedom. And these people, these appointed officials of Jesus return. Do you remember what Jesus said to them when they returned and reported all the miraculous things they had experienced? Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. From heaven. Can you imagine that? We want to do things for the kingdom of God. We want to, we've got 30 people from Dallas, Texas, who are here this week to make a mark for the kingdom of God in downtown Nassau. Wouldn't it delight our ears to have Jesus say to us, I saw what you did. I saw what you accomplished, and as I did, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is something we want to hear. So the 70 return, they report all the miraculous things they accomplished. Jesus says, I saw Satan uh, fall like lightning from heaven. Here's what we don't hear, and this is important. Here's what we don't hear. The 72 come back. Maybe Peter or James or John pulls Jesus and says, Jesus, we need to have a word with you. Can we speak to you in private, please? Jesus, we, we had a, an outstanding time in the communities. We were healing people miraculously. We were seeing demons cast out. But we ran into a little problem. See, Judas couldn't do it. We were all healing people, but Judas couldn't heal anyone. We were all casting out demons in your name, but, but Judas, he couldn't figure this out. We don't hear that. We don't read that. 
So by every appearance, Judas shared in the Holy Spirit, at least to the degree that he could function alongside those who were called and appointed by Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, Judas could accomplish, he could achieve what the other apostles were achieving. Judas fits the description of the person profiled in Hebrews chapter 6. Judas walked with Jesus. Judas was taught by Jesus. He had first-hand experiences with his power, but Judas ultimately fell away. The Apostle John gives us some explanation of how such a thing can happen. And this may be hard for some of us to hear if we've been in the church for any amount of time. We may be able to think of individuals who were once with us, individuals who once embraced the faith with great enthusiasm, who now deny the faith and, and live according to their own principles. And as you think of such people, the Apostle John gives an explanation in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 19. John says they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And they would have continued with us because they were being kept by the power of God. Again, it is sobering to observe that it is possible to be influenced by the gospel, to demonstrate some outward sign of being a Christian without really being one. I think it is an important exercise. I'm not trying to cast doubt here. I'm not trying to unduly startle you this morning. But Paul tells us in Philippians that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So it behooves us to at least take a minute, to at least take some time in prayer and ask ourselves, do I really possess the faith that I profess? I say that I'm a Christian, but is there evidence to that reality? It is sobering to consider that. But it, on the other hand, it is massively encouraging that if you've gone through that exercise of self-evaluation and scrutiny, that if you've gone through the exercise time and time again and have come out on the side, yes, I sense by the Word of God and by the fruits of my life that I genuinely belong to Him, then the good news is you will always belong to Him. You will always belong to Him because He holds tightly to you. You may not hold tightly to Christ, but if He has redeemed you, He holds you tightly. And He is keeping you. And He is making sure that you will never be lost. Now I realize there is a strain of thought out there by some who would say, Well, if Jesus is forgiven all my sins... If there is no possibility of losing my salvation and no possibility of forfeiting heaven, if that's true, then I might as well just do what I want. Do as I please. Live as I please. Be the master of my own destiny. 
Friends, the surety of your salvation should never, ever become a license to sin. The surety of your faith should never lead a person to be careless in their relationship with Jesus Christ. If Judas is our example of someone who had the appearance of faith without the reality of faith, then Peter is our example of someone who had the reality of faith without always having the appearance of it. We most certainly don't want to be a Judas because if we're a Judas, we don't have redemption and there's no hope for us. We don't want to be a Judas. But I don't think we want to be Peter either. At least not the Peter we see during the earthly ministry of Jesus. Do you remember how Jesus warned Peter? How Satan's desire was to what? Sift Peter like wheat. But Satan didn't get to sift Peter like wheat. Why? Because Jesus was praying that his faith wouldn't fail. Satan was waging war against Peter's soul. And Jesus was saying, don't worry. I've made provision. Your faith will not fail. So even though Peter denied Jesus three times. Even though Peter at times held on loosely to Jesus. It is clear that Jesus held tightly to Peter. So friends, if Christ is holding you, if Christ has a hold of your faith, if Christ has a hold of your life, it is impossible for him to ever let you go. It is impossible for anyone or anything to snatch you from his hand. And I pray that this security would inspire your service to the kingdom of God. I pray that this security would inspire your boldness in sharing your faith, in sharing the gospel. I pray that this security... This notion that God holds you for all eternity. I pray this security would mark you with gratitude. Mark you with joy. Mark you with peace and assurance. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us make every effort to have the appearance of our faith match the reality of our faith. If we are redeemed, we have an obligation that the appearance of our faith, the appearance of our Christian walk, would match and be consistent with the reality of it. To the glory of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.